Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. All right, thank you. You are listening to the Derek Izzy Show. Moses, I want to thank you for that wonderful introduction. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, boss. What's on the schedule for today? Well, Moses, today we are going to have you read one of the five-star reviews submitted by one of our faithful listeners. And we also have a very special podcast today about one of the oldest unsolved crimes in U.S. history. And Moses? Yes? This piece of American history is actually older than you are. Is that so? Yes, yes it is. How can it be older than me? Well, Moses, you do date back pretty far, but this unsolved mystery dates back to before you were born. But before we get to that, Moses, go ahead and read this month's winner of our five-star review contest. This winner comes to us from Kansas. Her name is Shyla. The title of her review is Cool Show. Moses, go ahead and read Shyla's review for us. This show has some really interesting subjects. The episodes on murders are my favorite. All right, thank you, Moses, and thank you, Shyla from Kansas. Her favorite episodes are the ones on murders. Well, today's episode is possibly about a murder, but since it's unsolved, we really don't know the truth. We can only speculate on what is likely to have happened. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't take candy from strangers? I'm sure you've heard your parents say it when you were a kid. Or if you're a parent, you've probably said it to your kids. Or if you're a grandparent, maybe you've seen it said to several generations. But do you know where the phrase came from? We were all riveted by this story earlier this year, but all we knew at the time was that a deranged kidnapper had grabbed a five-year-old boy off a school bus the news we all had hoped for but didn't dare to expect. That's right, two young girls kidnapped by a man who brutally killed their mother and sister. On my phone, on Facebook, looking at all the Amber Alerts people posted of this little girl and the man. And so when I left lunch, it was still fresh on my mind. And I just saw a man holding a little girl's hand walking towards me. So I slowly turned around again. And when I turned back around, I was like positive. That's that little girl from that picture. Just last hour, we're hearing the uh, just that emotional uh, nurse there telling us what she saw. That's the nurse at the hospital in Memphis who spotted four-year-old Rebecca Lewis. Lewis was kidnapped by a man who charged or changed his legal name to West Wild Hogs. They said 911, how many, what's your emergency? And I said, I got, me and my little brother got kidnapped. Wow, she may be little, but she is fast on her feet. It was her call to 911 from the backseat of her father's stolen car that saved her and her brother from being taken across the border. 
Well, right now, police are still looking for the man. We spoke with the victim, and she's obviously shaken up after she said the man grabbed her by the arm. It happened right behind me next to this abandoned building. She said a man jumped out of the bushes as she walked with her brother and sister. Those are just some examples from the news. Kidnapping is a reality of life in today's society. But was it always like this? This is where taking candy from strangers comes in. I did my research on the phrase, don't take candy from strangers. And here's where I've traced it back to. 1874. Back in those days, we did have cities, but cities were small compared to the cities of today. Small town environment was common back in those days. You knew your neighbors. Everyone knew each other. So when something happened, word usually got around very quickly, and everybody knew who did what. But on July 1st, 1874, two men were driving through the ritzy neighborhood of Germantown. Germantown was a suburb of Philadelphia. It was a predominantly wealthy area, and most of the people that lived there, they were businessmen, very well-to-do families with nice houses, and all the amenities that you could afford back in the 1870s. One thing they had in common is that they were all well-off. They had a lot of money. Or at least that's how things would appear. So these two men, driving through Germantown, now they weren't driving a car, they were driving a horse with a wagon attached to it. They came upon a four-year-old boy who was playing in a yard with his older brother. As the men pulled up in their wagon... They offered the boys candy and firecrackers if the boys would come with them. The 4th of July weekend was approaching, and the boys were excited about the holiday. They decided to go with the two men. Meanwhile, the boy's father came outside searching for his sons, but they were gone. The father went to the neighbor's yard where they were originally playing, and the neighbor told him she saw the boys get into a wagon, and the wagon took off. The father was terrified. The boys, unsure of what was going on, they were confused as well. The two men took the boys into the city. They stopped in front of a store. The men gave the older child 25 cents so he could go into the store and purchase some firecrackers. While the older boy was inside the store, the two men took off with the younger boy. At just four years old, this boy would become the first nationally known kidnapped child in the United States. The older boy... Walter, well, Walter made it back home safe. The younger boy, well, that's what this episode is about. The father started a manhunt. They began searching high and low, asking neighbors, talking to police, anybody who would listen to try and find out who took his son. Surprisingly, there was very little information. Yes, there were suspects, but for that period of time, there was very little evidence that could be found. Nobody knew what happened. It's like the boys vanished into thin air. The neighbor knew they were taken, but they had no idea who the two men were. While the kidnapping happened on July 1st, the first ransom note was soon to follow, only a few days later. Now, I'm going to read this in the spirit in which it was written, because the two men who kidnapped the topic of our podcast were obviously uneducated and their grammar really lacks, it lacks sophistication. But they addressed the father in this ransom note, Mr. Ross. Be not uneasy, you son Charlie Brewster, he all right. We has got him and no powers on earth can deliver out of our hand. You will have two days. You will have to pay us before you get him from us. And pay us a big cent, too. 
If you put the cops hunting for him, you was only defeating you own end. We has got him fit, so no living power can get him from us alive. If any approach is made to his hiding place, that is the signal for his instant annihilation. If you regard his life, puts no one to search for him, your money can fetch him out alive, and no other existing powers. Don't deceive yourself and think the detectives can get him from us, for that is one impossible. You hear from us in a few day. The ransom note that followed asked for a sum of $20,000. Now, Germantown, very affluent area, where the Ross family lived, and Mr. Ross was known to be a wealthy businessman. But after a recent downturn in the stock market, he was no longer wealthy. Coming up with a sum of $20,000 was impossible at that time for him. As much as he wanted to bring up that kind of money, he no longer had it. As the search began for the kidnappers, there were several ransom notes that came. The authorities got involved. Neighbors and family members got involved. They took donations and they raised money. As the ransom notes came in, they would ask for Mr. Ross to bring the money and meet the kidnappers to exchange the boy for the money. Each time Mr. Ross gathered up all the money he could find, he showed up to make the exchange, but the kidnappers never made it. Several times of attempting to meet the kidnappers, and the kidnappers never showed up. The family enlisted help from everyone they could think of. Flyers were posted all around the neighborhood, all around the state. Eventually... The entire nation helped in the search for the boy. Searches were being conducted well outside of the state of Pennsylvania. At this time, a search like this for a missing child had never really been done on this kind of scale before. This case was truly unique. Long before missing children's faces were plastered on milk cartons or in the news, the topic of our podcast, a little boy named Charlie Ross had his image embossed on a perfume hair oil bottle back in the 1870s. The first missing child picture in U.S. history. You can actually find these bottles at auctions or in rare historical item collections, and you can see his face, the face of a little boy. On these bottles helped get the word out, but it was never enough. Public sentiment began to turn on the family. There was a growing segment of the population that thought Mr. Ross had done something to Charlie and then just covered it up. It seemed to be a logical explanation. If a child suddenly disappears and there's very little evidence other than two unknown men took him, maybe the father knows something. Maybe he was part of the whole kidnapping scenario. There was a rumor that the son was not even his, that Mr. Ross's wife had had the baby with another man. Or maybe Mr. Ross killed him. Without a body and without proof, the public is left to determine guilt on their own. And they certainly did in this case. Mr. Ross did face a lot of public outrage from people who had formed their own opinions of the crime. And where was Charlie's mother in all of this? Well, when the kidnapping actually happened, she was in New Jersey. She had a daughter there who was sick, and she had no idea what was going on with Charlie. How did she find out about it? She was reading the newspaper and she saw the ad on the front page of the newspaper about a missing boy. Can you imagine being in her shoes? Now, back then, it was a different time. But still, if you had a son who went missing and you found out by seeing it on the news, reading it in the newspaper, seeing it online, and that was the first notice you had, 
That would be kind of frightening. The Rosses hired the Pinkerton Detective Agency. They were known for getting results. They're very thorough, experts in solving cases. They were very effective at their job, but the Pinkertons could not solve this mystery. Five months later, in December of 1874, two men broke into a home in New York in an attempt to rob the family that lived there. Perhaps what they did not expect was for someone to be there and to be very well armed. The two men attempting to rob the house were none other than William Mosher and Joseph Douglas. They also happened to be two men who fit the description of the kidnappers of Charlie Ross. During this robbery attempt, both men were shot. William Mosher was killed on the scene. Joseph Ross remained alive, even though he was shot. And he kind of gave a confession. He said that he and William Mosher had kidnapped Charlie Ross, but he also said not to worry because the boy would be returned soon. Now, at the time when he was confessing, he did not know that William was already dead. So he may have given that confession with the thought that William had gotten away or that William would give up the location of Charlie Ross. But shortly after Joseph Douglas gave that confession, he died as well. So in all probability, we have the two confessed kidnappers that say they took Charlie, but now both of them are dead, and we still don't have Charlie. Almost a year later, a former police officer, William Westervelt, went on trial for being involved in the kidnapping. He was investigated and convicted for his involvement in the kidnapping. Now, he maintained his innocence through the whole case. From the very start, even till he was thrown in jail, he still maintained his innocence. And he very well might have been innocent. Back then, sometimes juries would convict people because they just needed somebody to convict, and he was all that was left. He was already known in the area as being a corrupt police officer, so this was a chance to put him away. During the search for Charlie, there were an estimated 500 100,000 people who assisted in trying to find this little boy. They distributed over 700,000 flyers. The investigators met almost 600 people who either claimed to be Charlie Ross or looked very similar to Charlie. Imagine this back in the 1870s, this many people getting involved. This was definitely like nothing ever seen before in our country. Even with the social media and the instant messaging that we have, the ability to reach people very quickly, to get those kinds of numbers is still difficult in this day and age. As the search went on, in 1897, at the age of 73, Mr. Ross dies. Searches continue, and in 1912, at the age of 79, Mrs. Ross dies. Charlie was never found. In all reality, with the two kidnappers confessing and the boy never being found... Doing my research, what I've come to believe is that Charlie was probably kept alive by these men for a while, maybe hidden in a shed or somewhere the two men were living, and as they both passed away, the information on the location of where Charlie was being held went to the grave with them. Charlie, being only four years old, probably locked in a room or locked in a shed somewhere, would have been left to starve to death. Based on what I've read, that's probably the most likely scenario. His abductors were killed, nobody knew where he was, and he just starved to death. To this day, he has never been found. Mr. Ross wrote a book about his ordeal through the kidnapping and the trial and many years of searching. There were two songs written about the kidnapping, Bring Back Our Darling and I Want to See Mama Once More. 
As those songs became popular, it kind of rejuvenated the search for our missing Charlie. But even the popularity of those songs and the renewed public interest, they still failed to find the missing boy. As we conclude this episode of The Derek Izzy Show, I'm going to leave you with some very ironic and downright scary facts about this case. The kidnapped boy was Charlie Ross. In 1937, the wealthy president of a greeting card company was kidnapped at gunpoint while he was traveling to Chicago. He was held for ransom. His name was Charlie Ross. Charlie's grandnephew, Chris Ross, he ended up becoming a multi-term Pennsylvania state representative. When asked about the mystery of Charlie Ross's kidnapping, he says that his parents never really talked about Charlie and said that it was kind of a forbidden subject that they just never spoke of in that family. And on a strange note, while going through some old contents, trunks, boxes, a series of letters was discovered. Very odd that these would suddenly appear over a hundred years later, but stranger things have happened. These letters that resurfaced, well, they were the ransom letters written by the original kidnappers. They ended up being auctioned off by Freeman's Auction House. With the bidding starting at $1,500, a bidding war broke out between two bidders. Back and forth the bidding went, until finally the selling price ended up closing at $16,000. Now when you win an auction from Freeman's, you still have to pay a premium fee that they charge you. So once you actually have the final bid, they add another 25% for the premium fee. When that fee gets added onto the winning bid, the final price for the ransom letters was $20,000. $20,000, the original amount of money that the kidnappers demanded with their very first ransom letter back in 1874. Today's episode of The Derek Izzy Show has been brought to you by Lyft. Lyft is an innovative ride-sharing service. In order to use Lyft, just download the app to your smartphone. Type in discount code Derek, D-E-R-E-K, 605503. Now, take a minute, write that down if you need to, or you can type it into the app while you're listening, because now this only works with your first ride. That discount code is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, 605503. Only works for your first ride, so... Well, I guess you could set up multiple accounts with multiple email addresses, then you could probably use it multiple times, but it's only good for the first ride on whatever account you have set up. Now, using that discount code will get you between $5 and $20 off your first ride. It's market dependent, so the amount of the discount depends where you are. So if you're in Kansas City, it might be 5 off. If you're in Dallas, it might be $10 off. If you're in San Francisco, it might be $20 off. It all depends where you are. 
The one thing that remains the same is the discount code, and it's Derek, D-E-R-E-K, 605503. Not only will that get you your discount off your first ride, but it gets the show a little bit of a kickback. And I know how the listeners love to support the show. I mean, you guys have been really great, and I want to thank every single one of you for your support, and thank you for sharing the show. We've seen consistent growth, and I hope that continues. In order to help with this growth, we have a Facebook page. Just look up The Derek Izzy Show. It is now being broadcast. You've got the broadcast on iTunes. We've got all the episodes on DerekIzzy.com for free. And now we have the Facebook page, which enables you to easily share the episodes that are your favorite. Share them with your friends. Share them with your family. Spread the good news with everyone. If you need help on how to share... It's pretty easy. There's a little button. If you go to the Derek Izzy Show Facebook page, each posting has a little button that says share. You click on that, and then you can decide who you want to share it with, whether you want to post it on your own timeline, share it with all your friends, share it with the public. Whoever you decide to share it with, just share it. As many people as possible. We want to get the whole world involved. It only takes a few minutes, and it goes a long way with listenership. So thank you to everybody who's supported the show. Today's show has taken you from the very first kidnapping to receive nationwide attention to the unfortunate and probably tragic end suffered by little Charlie Ross. And now you know the rest of the story. Good day.